Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show. From the arts to sports and from business to history and everything in between, including your stories, send them to OurAmericanStories.com. That's OurAmericanStories.com. They're some of our favorites. And by the way, make sure you share our show with folks you know as well. Let them know what we're doing. And it just makes a difference in terms of creating more fans, not just of this show, but of this country. This is a show where America is the star, where the American people are the star. Up next... A story from Dennis Peterson, an author from South Carolina. Today, Dennis shares with us the story of his maternal grandmother, or nanny, as he and his family called her. Here's Dennis with the story. Hands can reveal a lot about a person. For example, a city slicker, a paper pusher, or someone who sits in front of a computer all day will generally have soft, smooth hands. 
Someone who does regular, hard, manual labor outdoors in all kinds of weather, however, generally has hard, rough, calloused hands. The former will have clean, clear, neatly trimmed nails. The latter has thick, broken nails with some degree of dirt showing under them. Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes character certainly would notice such things. I, too, noticed them when I was growing up. I noticed especially my maternal grandmother's hands. Nanny, we grandkids called her. Perhaps the most prominent feature of Nanny's hands was that they showed unmistakable evidence of arthritis. The knuckles were swollen and enlarged, hard and painful looking things. I especially recall the knuckle on her index finger, where the finger joined the palm of her hand, and the arthritis had drawn her index fingers inward toward the middle fingers in a painful curve. Her hands must often have hurt her because she continually rubbed them, and she sometimes massaged into them various lotions and ointments, such as Kaz Walker's Supraderm Salve. I often wondered as I observed Nanny's arthritic hands if there was a connection between arthritis and hard work because Nanny's hands were always hard-working hands. If they were not busy doing some kind of work, she was patting the arm of her chair with them or tapping the side of her leg or rubbing them. Her hands were seldom still. Nanny's hands had washed piles and piles of clothes long before she got an automatic wringer washer. I recall mothers recounting how Mondays were wash days. They built a fire back in the yard, heated water, and then carried it to the back porch, where they poured it into a large tub. In went the dirty clothes and the lye soap. And then Nanny scrubbed the clothes on an old washboard the hot water and the lye burning her hands bright red. Then those strong hands rinsed the clothes and wrung the water from them before hanging them on the clothesline to dry in the bright sun and the clear country air. Nanny's hands were also busy in the kitchen, preparing and then frying or baking various foods, peeling and mashing potatoes, shelling peas, breaking and stringing beans, peeling and slicing apples or peaches, or kneading and rolling out bread dough. She was always fixing, or had just fixed, something, so there was always something to eat at Nanny's house. One could always count on her having some kind of dessert in the kitchen. Coconut cake, stack cake, chocolate cake, apple pie. Her crusts were always what we kids described as stout meaning that one could hold a piece of pie in hand and eat it without its breaking apart. And my favorite, fried apple pies. One of them was a meal in itself, almost as good as a moon pie. Like a moon pie, one of Nanny's fried apple pies and an RC Cola would sure ruin a guy's supper. Nanny's hands were also expressive. She used them a lot when she talked, gesturing, pointing, waving, all motions designed, subconsciously of course, to further communicate whatever she was saying. And they often covered her mouth, not only when she was suddenly surprised by something or alarmed by what she had just heard, 
but also when something had tickled her and she was trying to suppress a laugh. But Nanny's hands, arthritic, disfigured, tired, and worn though they were, were most of all kind and gentle hands. They could as easily wipe away a tear, calm a fear, comfort homesickness, and clean a scrape as they could carry in a heavy bucket of coal to feed her hungry warm morning stove. They could as easily and gently caress and put the hand of a young grandson just going off to college, giving tactile proof of promised prayers as they would grab and break off a switch with which to administer grandmotherly discipline. To some people, Nanny Summers' hands might have seemed unsightly, perhaps even ugly. But to me, those hands were among the most beautiful and most lovely hands on earth. And what a beautiful piece. A special thanks to Monty Montgomery for the production and to Dennis Peterson, an author from South Carolina, for sharing the story. Her finger joined the palm of her hand, the contortions of arthritis. Well, when you look at it, you know it's painful. She continually rubbed them, he said, and they were hardworking hands. He wondered if arthritis came from hard work. To some, he said, Nanny's hands were ugly, but to me, they were beautiful. And as I hear Dennis tell this story about his nanny's hands, I can't help but think of Bill Withers, who tells, by the way, a remarkable story about his own grandma's hands in my favorite Bill Withers songs, and one of my favorite songs, Grandma's Hands. Go to YouTube and look for a Bill Withers concert version as he tells the story of his grandma's hands. Dennis Peterson's story about his nanny's hands here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. 
and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And 
we continue with our American stories, and we're about to tell you one of the quintessential American stories about one of the most esteemed of our American vets. Yet chances are, many of you have never heard this man's name before. And now let's go to the story of Audie Murphy. He had over 250 kills in World War II. He is America's most decorated soldier, having received every award, citation, and decoration the Army could give, including the Medal of Honor. All before he turned 20, though he looked 14. He became a movie star and wrote 17 songs, which were recorded by guys like Dean Martin, Eddie Fisher, Porter Wagner, Jimmy Dean, and Charlie Pride. He wrote a best-selling autobiography and starred in its film adaptation, which became Universal Studios' highest-grossing film for 20 years, until Jaws broke its record in 1975. His grave is the second most visited at Arlington National Cemetery. JFK's is the first. Yet this 5'5", 110-pound baby-faced hero is practically unknown in America today which is astonishing considering just 50-plus years ago, he received more fan mail than any other celebrity in Hollywood. To find out more about this American hero, let's take a listen to the man who wrote the book. Dr. David A. Smith is an American history professor at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. He wrote, The Price of Valor, The Life of Audie Murphy, America's Most Decorated Hero of World War II. I asked him, who is Audie Murphy? It's interesting because nobody else in American history combines these two sort of archetypal roles as he does. I mean, he's the most decorated soldier from the biggest war we've ever fought. And at the same time, or right after, he was a movie star at a time in Hollywood when movie stars had a cultural cachet that they would never have again. And one of the things that I find so fascinating about him is that he brings these roles together. He brings together the role of genuine hero and celebrity, and they don't match. They don't match at all. I mean, a hero is a very particular thing. A, a hero is an important cultural element within any culture. A hero is how we learn what virtue is. I mean, a hero is someone who, for a small amount of time, embodies a particular virtue. I mean, a virtue is an idea, and we have trouble you know, relating to it until we see it in the flesh. And that's what a hero is. And that's what he was first. Selflessness, determination, duty, patriotism, that whole bit. And then, gosh, then he becomes a movie star. And he hated being a movie star. He didn't like movie stars. His first wife, to whom he was married for just a year, wanted to be a movie star badly. And that's what she was in Hollywood for. And that's what drove them apart, because he hated Hollywood. He hated the phoniness of celebrity. And he, he disparaged his own talents. He refused to hang around other actors, mostly. When he was on the set, he would hang around with the horse wranglers and the stuntmen and the props guys. And it's fascinating to me that here, in this one person, you have extreme heroism and extreme celebrity. And it's just trying to mix. 
and his story is the story of how we've confused them today. In mythology and legend, a hero is a man of divine ancestry who is endowed with great courage and strength, celebrated for his brave exploits and favored by the gods. In reality, Audie was all these things. But as to the part of ancestry, it was far from divine. Here's Joanne Mattern, author of Audie Murphy, Fact or Fiction. Audie Murphy was born on June 20th, 1925, and he was born in a little town called Kingston, Texas. His parents were sharecroppers, and um, that means that they uh, picked cotton in fields, but they didn't own the fields. The fields were owned by someone else. And in return for working, all they got was uh, a little shack to live in and a tiny little bit of the money that they earned. Everything else went to the owner of the field. The house they lived in was no more than a little shack. It had no running water, no bathrooms, no electricity. They had 12 children all together. And as soon as the kids were old enough, maybe four or five years old, they went to work in the cotton fields with their parents. Audie later said that he just worked and that it was a full-time job just existing. In fact, when Audie was born, his mother, Josie, couldn't take time off to take care of the baby, so she put him in a baby swing and took him out in the cotton fields with her. Audie's father, his name was Emmett, and Emmett, he was pretty lazy more interested in in gambling and having a good time and the only time they got any meat to eat was if Audie and his brothers went out and hunted them. A neighbor once lent Audie his gun and it had eight bullets in it and Audie went hunting, came back with four rabbits and four bullets still left in the gun. That's how good a shot he was. Here's Audie's sister, Nadine Murphy. He got a little old 22, I don't know where, but he was really good at it. He could kill a rabbit on the run. Well, that's how we, that's how we lived, Dad. That's how we ate. He would go out and kill squirrels and rabbits. And uh, I guess we could say we're alive today because of him. He was my hero even then, before he ever did anything great. He was great to me then. Here again is Dr. Smith. One of the things that defines him throughout his entire life is his sense of duty to the people who are depending on him. He felt his duty toward his younger siblings in a profound way. Times were beginning to unfold that would shape his destiny forever. The country was in the throes of the Great Depression, and at one point things got so bad for the Murphys that they moved into a railroad boxcar. When he was 13 years old, his father left the family and he never came back. So now, Audie had to step up and be the man of the house. And in order to do that, he had to quit school. So he never got farther than the fifth grade. But the person that was hardest hit in the family was his mother, Josie. And in 1941, she died of pneumonia. And he said her early death was not unusual in the story of a a sharecropper family, uh, particularly when the sharecropper himself runs off, leaving his wife to take care of their children. Anyway, so Audie was only 16. He had younger sisters and a brother to take care of, and he couldn't take care of them because he had to work. So they were sent to an orphanage. And then everything changed. Everything changed. Here's Murphy historian Michael West. Well, the time that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, December 7th, I believe Audie Murphy and Monroe Hackney were actually on a double date at a movie theater. 
And after they returned from the movie theater, they learned, of course, of, of the bombing. Well, immediately, all the young men, or a number of the young men, chose to, to join. Well, that included Audie Murphy as well. Well, at that time, Audie was only about 17 and a half years old, plus he was plagued with that baby face. And immediately, uh, the recruiters recognized that he's too young. Uh, he tries the Marines. They virtually laugh him out. He uh, has visions of joining the paratroopers. Well, that, that never works out. So finally, he is uh, just simply run off, in essence, and he, he doesn't join. So Audie's older sister, Corinne, got him a false birth certificate that showed he was a year older than he was. So after he turned 18, as it said on his birth certificate, he was actually only 17, he went back and joined the Army, and he was accepted into the infantry. And what a story so far. I'd been a fan of the movie, but just didn't know. Just didn't know the circumstances, my goodness. Losing a father and a mother, and then having kids orphaned, living out of a boxcar. And when we come back, more on the life of Audie Murphy. This is Our American Stories. love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week i'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever i'm talking marcus dixon olympic gymnastics kane velasquez salacious super bowl level scandals Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories. We're telling the story of Audie Murphy. And if you've never seen the movie To Hell and Back, it comes on TV all the time. This time, don't skip it. It's terrific, and it should be a remake. His life story should be a remake, too, so everybody today knows who Audie Murphy is. Let's return to Greg Hengler and Audie's story. The Army Infantry was the most accepting of recruits who appeared to possess the least amount of skills needed for combat. Audie Murphy attended two boot camps before seeing any action, and in both camps, the Army tried to protect the little recruit they nicknamed Baby. They tried to put him in their post office and then their kitchen, but Audie would have none of it. Nobody pushed him around. I mean, he, he was impressively tough from the very beginning, and he would literally push himself until he collapsed. The guys he met there at boot camp 
remembered that he was clearly in his element, even though he was small of stature, even though he was baby-faced. And uh, his superiors wanted to find some place for him that he might be a better fit, because honestly, he wasn't a good fit in the infantry until you got to know him. And he said, absolutely not. I want to be in the infantry. I want to march with this pack that's as big as I am, and I'm going to do it. And his superiors reluctantly let him stay, but they made a good decision. Audie was assigned to Company B, the 15th Infantry Regiment, 3rd Division. No one could know that this poor tenant farmer's son would one day help to cause the demise of Hitler's promised thousand-year Reich by performing such wondrous deeds in battle that they seemed almost mythological. Here's one of them. The first time he goes into combat with the third division is in the invasion of Sicily. And Laddie Tipton is a soldier in his company, and, and they are extremely close. Laddie has an estranged wife and a daughter and Audie Murphy, I don't know if I want to say envies him for this, but Audie Murphy realizes how special this is to have a wife and a daughter because he, you know, he doesn't have much in the way of family. And he talks to Laddie about his daughter all the time and says, you know, you're going to get back to see her, you're going to get back to her, you're going to be a great father. And then, you know, they come ashore in France together in August of 44 and they're fighting their way up this hill. He and Laddie, they're working their way up this hill in the face of a whole repeated series of German machine gun emplacements. And they, they get one German foxhole to surrender to them. And they, they wave a white flag. And Laddie says, okay, they're surrendering. We can go get them. And, and Audie says, no, 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 stay down. There are other people up there. And a German sniper from someplace else up on the hill hits Laddie in the head with a bullet and he collapses right down into Audie's lap. And he sort of, I don't want to say goes nuts, but he grabs a gun and just charges up this hill in and out of draws and in and out of foxholes. And then he gets a German gun and goes after other foxholes and he clears out that entire hillside. And everybody says, oh, that was the most courageous thing I had ever seen. And he says, that wasn't courage, that was just me being mad. And you know, he goes back to Laddie to where his body is, and, and he, he cries over him. It's just a, a heartbreaking scene, but it wins him his Distinguished Service Cross. The Distinguished Service Cross is the second highest military award after the Medal of Honor. And that was one of the only two moments in Audie's life he openly admitted to crying, the other being the death of his mother. Here's Dr. Smith with the heroic act that would earn Audie Murphy the Congressional Medal of Honor and the respect and love of the United States of America. The story of his Medal of Honor is probably the most impressive story that you may hear from World War II. He's in France, he's coming up to the German border. It's wintertime, there's snow on the ground, it's icy cold, and he's, he's leading a couple of tanks and a platoon of soldiers southward toward a town. And from the town toward him comes a company of German soldiers, maybe more, maybe of Italian, and, and two tanks. What he has with him are a couple of things that look like tanks, but they're called tank destroyers. 
They're faster and they're lighter than tanks, and they're meant to be able to shoot tanks and then get away. But both of those things, both of those tank destroyers, are knocked out of commission really early on in this firefight. And he realizes that without those tank destroyers to give his men cover, it's going to be incredibly hard for them to continue their push south across this snowy field. And he orders his men to start to fall back toward the forest. And he stays out at the front point of the position because he has a radio and he's calling in artillery from the rear. And he's telling, you know, where to drop the artillery rounds. And he was always very good at this, which serves him very well. And he's starting to pull back. And both of the tanks that are with him have been knocked out. And he realizes that if the Germans overrun this position that he has, they will go straight into the woods and straight to the, the headquarters of his company and overrun their entire position. And he, he realizes he's got to stay there as long as he can. And as he's, he's yelling into the radio, yelling coordinates, and he's sort of backing up. And then he realizes that over to his right, the, the tank that's been knocked out of commission and that the men inside are dead, he, he's, he realizes that the 50 caliber gun up on the top of it, up on the turret, is still operable. And he climbs up on this tank, and he, he trains the gun on the Germans coming across the field toward him. And the, the tank is burning, so it's producing a lot of smoke. And it masks his position. It gives him cover. It's like a smoke screen. And he, he swivels back and forth with this 50 caliber, shooting at these German soldiers that are coming across the field and getting really close. Later he said, I remember being up on there, and the thought I had was, this is the first time my feet have been warm for three months. <laughs> and across the radio comes the question, how close are they to your position? And his response is, if you'll just hold the line, I'll let you talk to one of them. And, and, he's, and it gets to the point where the shells coming in and hitting are, are jarring him and kicking him around. They're hitting so close to him. And finally... Finally, they, they begin to pull back, and, and he realizes that the Germans are withdrawing. And he climbs down off this tank, and he's shaking. And he walks over to a tree, and he leans against a tree, and he just slumps down to the ground. And right about that time, the tank he was standing on explodes. And it blows that turret, you know, way up into the air and off into the woods. And, and the people who watched this, the people who filled out the reports, for him, the eyewitness reports for him to get the Medal of Honor, said they had never even seen anything like it. They couldn't believe it, and they saw it. They couldn't believe it, and they saw it. And when we come back, more of this remarkable story, Audie Murphy's story, here on Our American Stories, the final segment of this remarkable life, this remarkable man. our American Stories, we bring you inspiring stories of history, sports, business, faith, and love 
stories from a great and beautiful country that need to be told. But we can't do it without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love our stories in America like we do, please go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Our American Stories. Let's return to Greg Hengler and the final part of the Audie Murphy story. If you happen to end up in a foxhole with Audie Murphy, he was going to talk to you. And what you might hear is not what you'd think. A little, a guy who's just scared to death all the time finds himself sitting in a foxhole with Audie Murphy. And Audie says to him, you know, don't be afraid to be scared. There's going to be times when you're scared to death. And then Audie tells this kid, I'm always scared when I'm at the front. And it's, it's the irony is that everybody else in the division says, when we hear that Audie Murphy's in the front, the rest of us in the rear can go to sleep and sleep well. But Audie tells this kid, you know, there'll be times when you want to cry, and it's okay to cry. I mean, Audie transforms very much over the course of his time as a soldier from someone who has nothing but disdain, you know, sort of like Patton style for people who can't take it and who break under combat, to somebody who understands intimately how, how harrowing it is and what it can do to somebody. With attendance in the thousands, Murphy received his Medal of Honor in the Austrian city of Salzburg. Now this is in uh, May of 45. It's at an airfield just outside of Salzburg. He, he has this survivor's guilt already. Yes, he's, he's a brave soldier, but the guys who were killed, and he's always going to say this, those are the ones who deserve the medals. Those are the ones who deserve the honor. When you see the photographs of him standing there, you think, this guy's just a kid. Well, he, he sort of is. Thanks to Life magazine putting Audie on its cover, he returned an American hero. I asked Dr. Smith to put into context what it meant to grace the cover of Life magazine in the 1940s. There's nothing today, and I think about this sometimes, I can't think of anything today that is analogous to Life magazine in 1945. There's nothing that has the cultural centrality. There's nothing that in one magazine in one photograph can make you a national icon but life magazine was like that and and life magazine had heard about him had heard about him coming back to texas had heard about the ceremonies that he had been through and they sent a photographer to do a photo essay in 
in the little town of, of, of Farmersville in Greenville where he lived. But if you if you get that Life magazine, you open it up, you look through it, and you see, oh, man, you see a photograph of him getting his hair cut with a bunch of farmers looking in at him. But it's this cover, and it shows him fresh-faced, looking like a high school football quarterback in a military uniform. He's evidently young. He looks, and I think this is important, he looks completely unscarred by his past. He looks as fresh-faced as if he was fresh out of high school, and of course he's not. And you, you can't tell at all by looking that this guy killed you know, 250 soldiers. This guy was shot repeatedly. This guy was 50% disabled, you know, according to the U.S. Army. And, and this guy's carrying around, already carrying around some, some terrible emotional baggage that's keeping him from sleeping at night. But there he is on the cover of Life magazine, looking like a Norman Rockwell figure come to life. One of Hollywood's biggest movie stars saw Audie Murphy on the cover of Life magazine and picked up the phone. Here again is Joanne Mattern. There was a famous actor named Jimmy Cagney, and Jimmy Cagney saw uh, all the press about Audie, saw his picture, and said, hey, this guy should be in the movies. So he invited Audie to come to Hollywood and try to be a movie star. And um, Audie even lived with him for a while. But his acting career didn't really take off, so he ended up sleeping in, in a gym that a friend of his owned and kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, but then in 1949, he wrote a book called To Hell and Back, and that was all about his experiences in the war. And the book was a huge bestseller and kind of got Hollywood's attention again. So he um, ended up making a few movies, mostly westerns, and he didn't care for westerns. He felt like every movie had the same plot as the last movie he did. And one of my favorite quotes, he said that in Westerns, the faces are the same and so is the dialogue, only the horses are changed. And uh, what happened, though, after he was doing these movies and kind of, you know, plugging along, um, To Hell and Back was a huge bestseller, and Universal Studios decided to make it into a movie, and they wanted Audie to star as himself. And Audie said no. He said, I don't want the public to think I'm trying to be famous by, by saying, look at me, I'm a war hero. But eventually he changed his mind because he felt that he could show how brave all the soldiers were who, who had fought and who had died and um, kind of do a tribute to them through the movie. And he also wanted to make sure the movie was as realistic as possible. And starring in it meant that he could have some say in you know, how the battles were staged and the uniforms and how the, how the actors behaved as the soldiers. So he ended up doing it. The movie came out in 1955. It was a huge hit. It was actually Universal Studios' highest-earning movie until 1975 when the movie Jaws came out. And it was the high point of Audie's acting career. He went on and did some movies and some television after that, but that was really the high point. But while this, all this was going on off-screen, it was very difficult for him. Nowadays, we would understand that he had post-traumatic stress disorder from his time in battle, but during the 50s and the 60s, that term didn't exist yet, and people weren't really aware of it. So Audie actually, in the 60s, he started to speak out about how he felt that, um, you know, he had trouble sleeping. Every time he heard a loud noise, he would jump. He slept with a gun under his pillow. 
when he went out in public, when he was driving down the road, he was constantly looking for danger, you know, looking for something to jump out at him. And he said during the 60s, when he was speaking out, he said to be trained to kill and then come back into civilian life and be alone in a crowd, it takes an awful long time to get over it. But he, he, he tried to help others through his experiences. Here's Audie's friend, film director Bud Bedeker on Audie's struggle with PTSD. He called me one day and he said, uh, I'm sitting here with my 45, the picture's in good shape, don't worry about a thing, I'm going to blow my brains out. And I had two seconds and I said, that's really great. He said, what do you mean? I said, why don't you do that? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, do it for every kid in the country who thinks you're the greatest fellow who ever lived. That'll make everybody in the United States. Go ahead and pull the trigger. He said, you son of a and he hung up. Audie's life clearly defined who he was and what he stood for. His death was no different. In 1971, Audie Murphy was flying on a small plane and the plane crashed and he was killed. He was 45 years old. And because he was a war veteran and a hero, he was buried at Arlington National Cemetery with full military honors. And generally, if you are a Medal of Honor winner, your gravestone at Arlington, the lettering is done in gold trim. It's very sparkly. It's very eye-catching. And Audie didn't want that. He just has a plain gravestone, and it just lists his name. It's very plain, very brief. doesn't really give any indication of what a hero he was. And he's the second most visited grave at Arlington Cemetery, the first one being President John Kennedy's grave. is the most popular, and Audie's number two. American news anchor Tom Brokaw wrote the introduction for Murphy's autobiography to Helen Back. Here's how he concludes. I was first aware of Murphy as a war hero. He was on the cover of Life magazine when I was a youngster. Not long before his untimely death in an airplane accident, I was working in California when Audie Murphy came back into the news. A woman friend of his had sent her dog to a trainer and she wasn't happy with the results. As I recall, she asked Audie to intervene. He visited the dog trainer who then complained to the police that Murphy had shot at him. The local police brought Murphy in for questioning and when Murphy was released without charges, a large number of reporters were outside the police station. Murphy agreed to take a few questions. One of the reporters asked, Audie, did you shoot at the guy? Audie Murphy, the most decorated combat veteran of World War II, stared at his interrogator for a moment and then said in that familiar Texas voice, if I had, you think I would have missed? I love that moment and all that Audie Murphy stood for as a citizen, a soldier, and a hero, Tom Brokaw. And great job on that, Greg. And again, 250 confirmed kills. One man, humble beginnings, humble in birth, and humble in death. This is Lee Habib, Bonnie Murphy's story, here on Our American Stories.
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.